Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, our guest is Terry Harrington, who is a partner and the chair of the Trust and Estate Group with Levenfeld and Pearlstein. Welcome. So, uh, tell us, tell us some about how you got to where you're at, um, and and why you chose uh, estates and trusts. Well, I just love talking about death and taxes. I mean, who who doesn't, you know? Um, no, so I actually found the law in a bit of a roundabout fashion. Um, when I was in undergrad, I was a biology major. I thought I wanted to spend my life pipetting things and researching, um, you know, microbiology or stem cells or something like that. And uh, I just found out that it wasn't actually for me, but I, I didn't really know what to do with my biology degree. Um, other than I realized that law school will take any kind of degree from undergrad. And so I figured, let's try that. Um, but I actually had a little bit of insight into both the legal profession and trust and estates in particular. Um, my, my mother is an estate planning attorney. And so it was something that I always knew in the back of my mind that I really enjoyed and that I think I could you know, be good at um, and, and have as a career. But I wanted to try some other things first, which is you know, hence the whole biology background. Um, so I went to law school, uh, tr- you know, again, tried a bunch of other kinds of law, both in, in class form and then also working for some other uh, types of, of attorneys. But um, when I graduated, estate planning was really the only thing that I, I felt like I had interest in. And I was lucky enough to, to get a job in an estate planning group right out of law school. Um, and it's kind of been like that ever since. That's awesome. Um, you know, obviously, um, or maybe not obvious to some people, um, you know, that, that again, like, just like you said, death and taxes. So uh, at some point in time, you know, it's important to make sure that, that you make sure your affairs are in order. What are some of the, the biggest mistakes that you see people make when it comes to this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the number one mistake is, is not doing it, um, shying away from making the hard decisions and, and feeling that if you do make the decisions or get these documents in order, that somehow death is, is then closer than it was before. Um, and and I, I'm obviously very comfortable talking about these things, but I know that it's not an easy conversation for many people to have, both you know, between spouses, uh, with, with family members, with parents, with children, whatever it might be. Um, but avoiding the conversation is not gonna make it easier down the line for you or for your family. Um, and and I, I do, you know, in most cases, a bad estate plan is better than no estate plan at all. So at least going through the process a little bit and making some decisions, even if they're not the perfect decisions or you change your mind in a, a day, a week, a month, uh, you can always change it down the line, but having something in place that you spent some time uh, you know, putting into it is better than nothing at all. Right. Um, what are some of the questions that when people come in to meet with you that they're not asking that you really wish that they would? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've been practicing long enough and, and my clients are uh, curious enough that I've been probably asked everything under the sun at least once. Um, but I think some of the questions that are th- that I find the most interesting from clients um, 
is, you know, in cases of multiple children, should I have all of my children act together uh, to make decisions? In, in almost all cases, I would say no. Um, siblings are tricky relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've all seen it within our own family, with, within other families, getting two, three, four children to all agree to make decisions on things can be really, really hard. I think a lot of parents are concerned that they are going to offend one of their children by not naming them as a co-executor, as a co-trustee, co-manager of of the assets. Um, And and what I'd like to tell them is that they they might be offended, but one, you'll be dead. So, you know, that's (laughs) not your problem anymore. Um, But to being a fiduciary, you know, being in the job as manager is a job. It's not just a simple you know, take the assets and run. Um, you have to account to all the beneficiaries. You have to deal with, uh, you know, financial people, accountants, lawyers, other professionals. It, it is a full-time job, not a full-time job, but it can be. Um, and so you really want to be naming the person that is the most capable um, and, who's, and, and who you trust the most. So, you know, I think that's a question that I get very regularly. Should I name all my kids together? And like I said, in almost all cases, it's no. So lots of times people think, oh, I have a will and that takes care of everything. Um, but then, you know, there's power of attorneys, there's medical power of attorneys, there's, you know, if they have a trust and so forth. Can you yep. kind of explain a little bit what's different about those items? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go too far in depth on those things, um, but but the will, the purpose the will is to deal that's at your death so your will doesn't ask anything until you've passed away so what that will is name an executor to deal with the assets um and they're called different things in different states personal representative administrator executor um and they will take anything that's in your individual name and i'll get to why that's important in a second and administer it pursuant to the terms of the will so if my will says you know to my spouse um if they're living and if not to my children the executor gives the assets to the spouse and then the children. Um, however, people will often forget that if assets have a beneficiary designation, so retirement plans, for example, or life insurance, those beneficiary designations will actually um, take precedence over what the will says. So even if your will says, I want my life insurance policy ending in one, two, three, four to go to my best friend, Jenny, um, but the will says give everything to my you know, sister, um, the, the insurance policy is going to go to whoever the beneficiary is, not whatever the will says. So that's important. Um, also, anything that's owned jointly with rights of survivorship will also, um, you know, over uh, take over what, what the will says. So if I own something jointly with another person and it's with rights of survivorship, they'll automatically get that asset. That does not pass pursuant to the terms of the will. So the will is really only dealing with assets in your individual name that has no other, you know, joint owner. Or beneficiary designation, um, and then also can name guardian for for minor children. So that's what the will really does. Um, in in most states, if your assets are over a certain threshold, some states are fifty thousand, seventy five, a hundred thousand or so. Um, that's when you have to use that will to open up probate. Um, and probate's a big scary word for lots of people. They don't like doing it. Right. Um, it it's not so bad normally. I will say now that we're living in the day and age of COVID avoid probate at all, at all right. costs. Um, the, the courts are, are overrun with Zoom hearings right now, so it's a little bit of a mess. Um, and the best way to do that in, in Illinois um, and in many states is to have a, what's called a revocable or a living trust mm-hmm. um, that by titling your assets in that revocable trust, um, that can bypass the, the whole probate process and automatically give rights to the successor trustees in that trust 
the ability to uh, deal with your assets. Um, so the will is valid at your death. Your trust will also handle things at your death. It's also valid during your life um, and in, during your incapacity, which has benefits as well. I, again, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on that. Um, but then the powers of attorney for property and powers of attorney for healthcare. Those are documents that act upon your incapacity, designating someone to manage your financial affairs if you're incapacitated. So again, alive, but you don't have the capacity. And then very important, um, the medical power of attorney for, for healthcare uh, to designate someone to make your healthcare decisions if you're unable to do so. Now, everybody thinks that, oh, if I, uh, to have a trust that I have to have a lot of money, you know, I guess, help me, you know, tell the listeners why that's not true. Yeah, I, I mean, any anyone can have a trust. Um, as I said, trusts help avoid the court process. So that's important to a lot of people. Um, and trust can be as simple as, you know, during my life, I'm the trustee. Upon my death, my spouse is the trustee. And they're going to give all the assets outright to themselves. Um my trusts don't say that. They're a little bit more complicated than that. Sure. Um, and every situation is different. So, um, you know, that's the reason why I, I love estate planning. Um, it's really a process that's built around the client and is very personal to the client. So um, your, your trust can be, like I said, as simple as that. In a perfect world, everyone has a you know, five to 35 page trust that has all of the different powers that the lawyer, you know, licensed in that state wants them to have and that, you know, a, a bank would want to see those kinds of things. But trust can be pretty simple if you want to avoid that whole probate process. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily need a trust to avoid probate, depending on their, their, their family situation. So if you hold everything jointly with your spouse and you want everything to go outright to them and you die, everything automatically goes outright to them. Now, if they're the surviving spouse and you want everything going to your kids, they may want they may want to trust to make sure that everything is going automatically to children if they don't want to do it through beneficiary designations or, or transfer on death um, uh, designations. So it really just depends. I, I, I never want to see people over planning because of their fear of probate. There's a lot of other options for people. Right. Um, the other nice thing about trust is that they're a nice way to set up, you know, continuing trust. So if you're going to if you're going to leave money to your kids and you don't want it going outright, if you're going to leave money to anybody else, you can build into to a trust, but also into a will, continuing provisions. Um, but the nice thing about trust is, again, they're not under the purview of the courts automatically. Mm -hmm. So no one can see what's in that document if you're passing your assets to people and you want it to be private. So explain why it's important to use someone like you um, as a professional uh, to help with this, you know, trust and estate planning. Because it's complicated, um, you know, and you're not surprised to hear that. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's a complicated thing, and you know, you, not everyone is going to need someone like me. Um, my my firm does a lot of um, you know tax planning, transfer tax planning, sales of businesses for clients, things like that. Um, and then we also do just the day to day. Again, I want everything going outright to my spouse and outright to my kids. Um, but you don't, you're not necessarily going to always need someone that has the high level tax planning. If you just want to make sure that it's simply going to X, Y, and Z, that's fine too. However, you need to make sure that the language that that person is using is proper under the law. So if you put something into a will or trust, um, that, that language could have legal consequences if you're not careful, if that person's not living, if they have kids, if they don't have kids. So you just want to make sure that the attorney that you're using has the right experience to, to make sure that the document 
says what you think it says. So that's, that's why, you know, people ask all the time, I, I bought a will off Amazon. Um, I, can I just use legal zoom? Maybe, maybe it's totally fine. It might work for you. Um, it, it may in your circumstances be totally fine, but it may not be. And, and that's when litigation arises and people come out of the woodwork to ask for money because something was drafted incorrectly. Yeah. I mean, I, it hasn't happened as much lately, but, but when I first started out many moons ago, um, lots of times people would have the living trust set up, mm -hmm. but the attorney or whoever never put any assets in there. So everything was outside the trust and, um, just found that, that if not using a, a good professional, the, these kind of things can happen, or if they go to do these things, you know, like you said, on legal zoom or any of those other ones, it happens. Um, yeah. And that's actually, sorry to interrupt, but that, that's an important point. Um, when it comes to funding revocable trusts, there's only so much that your attorney can do for you. So right. my job after drafting is to remind you, you know, okay, you've done all this work. We've signed everything. Here's a list of your assets. Now we need to move everything to your revocable trust. I'm not the client. I can't call the bank Correct. on their behalf and say, let's move this money. So part of my job is to remind, 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 and I'm happy to, you know, help fill out forms when they get them. But at the end of the day, the client does have to do some legwork. And that's why a lot of times I'll say to clients, if you're not ready to do that legwork, let's just get something simple in place that, that covers the absolute basics. It, again, it may not be perfect, but you'll have some peace of mind. And when you're ready to take that next step, we can talk about funding a revocable trust. Right. So if somebody's looking for a trust estate attorney, how can they, where, where can they go to find one that's good? Um, that's, that's a good question. You know, because again, it, it seems like, you know, because again, as an, as an attorney, you know, you specialize in this. It's not like yeah. you're doing everything and, oh, by the way, yeah, I do, I do do trust in, in estates. And, um, I just think that lots of times people think, if, oh, you're an attorney, you can do everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think for first things first, you have to like and trust the person. Um, obviously, you want them to have some specialty in, in trust in estates, and I'll, I'll get to how you can kind of vet people um, that way in a second. Um, but to talk about your family, to talk about your assets, you really have to have a sense of trust. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people say, I want to go to this person because they have the lowest rate or the highest rate, or they've been practicing for 45 years. Um, they promised me they can save me X amount of dollars on taxes. All of that stuff is well and good, but at the end of the day, if you're not comfortable reaching out to that attorney and having an honest conversation about what your goals are, what your family's like, what your assets look like, that relationship's probably not going to be right for you. Um, in general, when it comes to looking at trust and estates attorneys, there are multiple organizations throughout the country that can help vet. Um, so one of them is ACTEC, uh, the American College of Trust and Estate Council. Um, you have to be invited in, into that group um, and practicing for at least 10 years, and you have to have a level of speaking and writing, contribution to the estate planning community throughout, throughout the country and within your own state. Um, many uh, metropolitan areas have an estate planning council of some kind. So I, I'm in the Chicago Estate Planning Council, um, and it's a group of bankers, lawyers, accountants, uh, you know, insurance agents, investment advisors, um, people in wealth management. Um, and if you reach out to one of those organizations, they can give you some people who they would trust. Um, ask your accountant, ask your um, investment advisor, ask your friends, ask your friends who they liked and who they would trust. Um, you know, ask around because again, it has to be someone that you're going to have a connection with and, and that you enjoy being, you know, talking to. Right. Right. Yeah. I just find, you know, and I'm sure you've run across this too. You know, there's a lot of 
bad professionals out there. And this is one of the reasons why we do these podcasts is to get people on to talk about this stuff and try to help the listeners be able to, to make sure they're finding the right people to, to work with. Yeah. Throughout your time, and you said that your, that your mom was an estate attorney uh, before you, what is something that you've learned um, in doing what you do that has really stuck with you and that you try to implement that in your daily life? In, in life or in law, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got lots of life lessons. No, um, for for law, I would say, um, especially within trust and estates, it's an ongoing process. I think a lot of people hope that they're going to do a will and then never think about it again. My job is to get you to a place where you don't have to think about it for three to five to 10 years, You know, depending on where you're at in your life and with your family. Um, you may not have to think about it for a while, but my job is to one, get you comfortable enough that we can get this plan done now, but two, that you're also comfortable enough that when you think of something that's changed or you have a major life event, um, you move, you get married, get divorced, somebody passes away, whatever it is that you think to say, you know what, I need to reach out to Carrie and ask her if there's anything I need to do. Um, I, I want my clients to have that comfort level. I, I, and, and estate planning, like I said, it, it's a it's a living, breathing, you know, constantly changing thing. I, I'm not saying that you have to change your documents every six months or anything like that, but it's something that you do just want to be, ha have in the back of your mind and say, do I need to look into that again? It, it's always going to change tax. The tax situation is always changing, obviously. Your family is always changing. Your goals are always changing. And so you may just want to be thinking about it regularly. Um, so that's what I try to convince my, or, you know, ask my clients to think about, um, is you don't have to call me every day, but, you know, think of me every once in a while and, and, you know, touch base and let's see if there's anything that you want to do differently. Yeah. I know what, what, um, what I try to do in my practice is when people come, you know, because they can come to me once a year for their taxes is when they, you know, they sell a house or do anything like that, um, or any other life changes, I always, you know, kind of remind them, Hey, don't forget to, you know, get your, you know, your trust or your will or whatever updated. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, I get to see my clients one, at least once a year, how often do do you feel after someone does a, um, puts together a plan with you, how often, uh, do you try to meet with those clients? Um, they really drive that. Um, they, they will often ask me, when do I need to reach out to you again? Right. And so I'll give them kind of what I just said. When there's a major life event, whatever you would consider a major life event, think of me. Um, so that could be every time you have a kid, if you lose somebody in your life, if you move, if you switch jobs, what, whatever's major to you. Um, on average, I'd say every three to five years. Okay. And, and we do touch base with our clients every, I think it's every three years, we send reminder letters just to, so that they don't forget about us, right. obviously. Um, but, but it's really up to the client. We have some clients who do want to have a regular meeting every single year, just to be reminded of what their plan says. Um, it, it's really driven by the client and what works, what works best for them. I think earlier you made a, a very good point in that, um, saying that you make sure that the client understands what the documents say, because I think so often what happens and, and I did this when I first went into business, you get that business plan, it goes on the shelf and you forget about it. And that's not what you should do. Same thing with, with, you know, what you're talking about. And many times I know I talk to clients and, you know, they don't understand, you know, what, what their trust or their will is really saying. Um, so I think that that's really important to, to make sure that, you know, whoever gets the, the trust or the estate or will done 
understands it. Not that they, yeah. not that they need to, you know, know, <laughs> you know, right. on everything, but I think it's important to know at least broad stroke what there is. Yeah, and and that's I I find that my my firm and there's many great estate planning attorneys across the country that I do this. So I don't want to make it sound like I don't think a lot of people are doing this, but um I will spend a lot of time on the front end speaking with the client about what they're looking to do because I think a lot of times clients come to us and say, um, well, what would you recommend? Yeah. And I, I say I don't know anything about you, so I don't know what to re recommend. Um, and so we'll spend a lot of time up front getting to know what the client is looking for. Like I said, about their family, about their goals what their assets look like, what their long-term plans are, those kinds of things. And then I build the plan from there. And because we're building from the ground up as opposed to, well, here's here's a generic plan. This is where you can fit in there. Um, because I build from the ground up, I find that people tend to understand it a little bit better. Yeah, I I, I think that's a great point. And, and again, many times, you know, we're, we're problem solvers. And lots of times I think some of these professionals out there, they just... Don't listen to what the what the client really is saying, and just oh, here this is what you need. And right. it's like, you know, no, not not really. That's not what they need. They they, right. they need you to listen. Yeah. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing, um, you know, within your industry? Within the industry, um, we are very busy. Uh, it is it's great job security. I'm thrilled that my clients are thinking of of us and our firm regularly. Um, however, it, it's the uncertainty and I, I don't like seeing my clients, you know, freaked out because they don't know what Congress is going to do next or who's going to be the next president. Um, so, so that's really stressful, both for my clients and, and for my firm, uh, cause they ask, well, well, what's going to happen? And I, I have to say, I honestly have no idea. Right. Um, we, you know, we're living in a time where, um, you know, tax rates and things used to be set for decades and, right. and now that's just not the case anymore. So we're, we're literally playing it year to year, um, and, and trying to plan for what we think might happen or could happen. Um, it's, it's tough. Um, I, I appreciate that we are very busy. It's like I said, great for business. Right. Um, but I, I don't like seeing my clients struggle with, you know, uh, not, just not knowing what's going to happen. And, um, it, you know, they, 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 they don't know what their goals are because they, they don't know, do I, do I want to use up all my exemption because, you know, it might get taken away. Um, even though I'm, you know, only 50 and I have, you know, X amount of dollars, it's, um, it's, it's just really tough. Yeah. So uh, the uncertainty is it's a great opportunity for us as, as professionals, but it's also, it's, it's very stressful for clients. Talk a little bit about, uh, the portability of the exemption. So currently at the federal level, each individual person has $11.7 million. Um, the actual number is 10 million, but it's indexed for inflation. So the current, the current number is 11.7 million for 2021. Um, what that means is I can give $11.7 million away during my life and at my death without paying $1 of federal state tax. If I'm married, that means that my spouse and I combined can gift $23.4 million between the two of us. Um, but that's between the two of us. So if, if I don't use up all my exemption, I can give basically my exemption to my spouse so that, you know, he or she can use it for use up. If they have more money than, than I do, they can use up my exemption. Um, so that's what portability means. Um, that is likely not going to go away. So we're not too concerned about that. The real, the real concern for, for, very, very wealthy people, um, is that the exemptions will go down and then there's right. only, you know, $10 million that couples can split. 
um, or 5 million um, index for inflation if you're a single person. Right. Yeah, I think that that's one of the, 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 for my clients right now, one of the biggest fears is, okay, is this, you know, because of, of what the administration is talking about, it's like, okay, how far down is it going to, is exempt yeah. going to drop? But then also the other thing is not getting a stepped up basis. Um, yeah, the step up in basis is, is a much bigger concern, I yeah. think, financially for most people. Because um, that's going yeah, to affect everybody where, yeah. you know, dropping the exemption is going to, you know, according to the administration, it's only going to affect 1%. I think it's going exactly. to be more than that. But, you know, the, the step up in basis, I think, it, I mean, it's huge. And I think yeah. if, they, if they don't do that, a lot of people... Um, you know, are going to get hurt by it, especially people that have family businesses that they try to pass, you know, pass down uh, generations. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I mean, that's a good point. I think that is an example of how hard it would be to administer. Let's say you've got a business that you inherited back in 1967. How do you know what the basis is? Right. I mean, how, how are you supposed to? So I, I'm not overly concerned about it um, since this is a recorded uh, podcast. I'm, I'm a little nervous that now that's out in the ether, but um, <laughs> I can't guarantee it. So don't take my word for oh, it. Yeah. But um, I, I just, I think that would be so hard to administer. So I, I'm personally for my clients and for myself, hopeful that they don't do it. But um, right. well, it's, it's like I said, that's the uncertainty that that's causing people to think of, you know, reaching out to people like you and me. Um, and we're, we're doing our best, guys. We're, we're doing our best. Right, right. I, I always tell them my crystal ball doesn't always work so well. Yeah, exactly. So, Carrie, what, you know, we talked about a bunch of, bunch of things today. What have I not asked you that you wish I had? I think one of the, the things that I just I want to reiterate to people is having a plan that may not be perfect is better than nothing. And talking about these things doesn't make it more likely that it's going to happen to you. Um, the other thing that I think is really important for people to think about, uh, a, a lot of people don't want to talk to their children or their family about money. Um, it's a taboo subject, or they think if their kids know that they have X amount of dollars, that somehow they're going to turn into worse humans. Um, I've only seen money being hidden from children cause more problems than being more open about it. I'm not saying you have to tell your four-year-old that, you know, their parents have $10 million. Um, but I, I find that if, you know, children are uh, observant at, at all ages. And so if they see how you're spending money, if they see how um, the kind of house that you're living in, they're going to have a sense. And if you don't talk about it with them, if you don't talk about how, you know, who they can reach out to if something happens to you, they're going to be unprepared and less capable of handling money when it comes to them um, or you know, a bad situation if, if, if they lose you at a young age. Um, there are some children who are not prepared to, to have that kind of knowledge, but I would say more often than not, parents don't give their kids enough credit for the kind of information that they're, they're ready to handle. So um, I would think about it sooner rather than later having a conversation with your kids. And it, and it doesn't have to be all at once. Um, I think you can share it in, in bite-sized pieces, talk to your financial advisor, talk to your attorney, talk to your accountant about how to have those conversations. And we, we all see it all the time. We're happy to give, you know, guidance on, on how to have those conversations or start having those conversations. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important, especially that it, you know, <clears throat> not just about, you know, the family, um, finances and stuff like that, but just because, you know, in schools and things like that, they're not teaching this anymore. Yep. 
So I think it's important to talk to your young kids so they understand kind of how things work and, and be able to be better prepared uh, later on. Yep, absolutely. People like what they hear and they want to reach out to you and talk to you and, and get some advice. How can they reach you? So you can check out our website. Uh, it's www.lplegal.com. Um, that's L as in Leventhal, P, P as in Pearlstein. Uh, you can email me at my email address, which is charrington, that's C-H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N at lplegal.com. Um, as I said, I am based out of Illinois, our Chicago office, um, and I'm actually licensed in Florida. We have attorneys that are licensed um, in a couple different states. And if you need a recommendation on an estate planning attorney in your area, we have connections throughout the country, so I'm happy to, to provide any you know, guidance on that, um, or I can point you in the right direction of, of where to look. So happy to be um, a resource for, for anybody. Carrie, we really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks, Gary. I appreciate it. Sure. Our guest today was uh, Carrie Harrington with... Uh, Levenfeld and Pearlstein. Thank you. Thanks. This show has been produced by Market Domination LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.